Good morning and greetings to everyone in the name of Christ. If you want to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. A very common verse. I think a lot of people have memorized it. And I'm going to read from a different translation than the King James Version. And it gives a little bit more of a uh, maybe a common description of it. Simply says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Second Timothy was written um, by Paul, and it is uh, widely regarded as his last letter of the of all the letters he's written. His last letter, and he spent um, some of the some of the age or the date is not known exactly. But he was arrested and put into a dungeon. And according to history, the dungeon had a hole 18 by 18 above him. There was no windows. So everything, all the food that came in, came through a small opening above him. And so when he wrote a letter, it had to be passed back out and all that. So as he wrote a letter to Timothy, um, and probably knowing that he would never get out alive again except for his death, so as he's writing his advice to a young pastor named Timothy, this is what he wrote, all of 2 Timothy. And in this verse surrounding verse 15, he gives him a good advice on both sides, before and after the verse, but right here in 2 Timothy 15. And I think this is a, a verse, and I know it was addressed to one specific person. When I read a verse like this, I try to personalize it. What advice is there in this verse for me? And I would like for you to do the same thing. And I don't think we take it out of context when you read it like, like Paul is writing to you or as God's message is to you. He says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. So as a, if you're an employ, employee for an employer, if you work for him, one of your goals should be is to be productive and for your boss to say, I like the job that you do. You did a good job, here is a raise, or here is a bonus. We like to hear those things. So God is telling them to study to show yourself approved unto God. What is the one reason that we study? Now, if you ever get a box with a, something that needs to be assembled, um, us guys, we might just tear into it. But eventually, you probably have to dig out the owner's manual or the assembly instructions. Which bolt goes where, which nut goes where, which piece goes first, and so forth. So we study that. Maybe you buy a new piece of equipment and you don't know how to operate it. You get out the manual, you study it. The reason you study is so that your life goes easier and that the piece gets put together properly or the machine you're operating does what, it, what it's supposed to. That is the reason that you study or that you learn. The same way in our Christian life. The reason that we study is so that we can learn and ultimately that we can serve our God in a greater fashion. There is another reason that you study. To avoid failure. If you don't know God, and if you don't know truth, you are a lot more susceptible to failure or even deception. 
So Timothy was a pastor. He led a church, and, it, and his church was from Ephesus, and the people from that area were from varying backgrounds. Uh, Timothy's dad was a Gentile. His mother was a Jew. So he was already accustomed to, you might call it a, um, would it be different religions or different backgrounds? That's what he grew up with. The people most likely from his church were from pagan background, uh, maybe some religious background, but that's what he had to deal with. He had to study the word of God. The people back then, and it talks about it in 2 Timothy, that already back then there were false teachers claiming this, claiming that, claiming that the resurrection was a hoax. And this was right, I mean, they had eyewitnesses already, just that were there, and, and that was one thing he had to face. So if you study the word of God, you avoid, or maybe not totally, but you, you basically avoid failure or deception. I want to read one verse real quick from Romans, uh, Romans 14, 15, 4. It says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scripture might have hope. So God, not only in 2 Timothy 2.15, but in other, other part parts of the Scripture, command us to learn. And it is one of our greatest guards against deception and also the best way to serve our Almighty God. There are a lot of people today, and I'm sure you know of people that have been deceived. Now the difference between somebody that's deceived and somebody that just plain leaves the church and, does, and fulfills whatever they want to fulfill is the person that is deceived are the people you see sitting in church because they come back to church. But a person that is deceived is a person that is doing wrong and doesn't know it. Those are the people that are deceived. Whereas the people that just go up and, and just sin and do wrong things, it's really obvious. They're not deceived. Backing up into the first book of Timothy, chapter 4, I'm going to read in verses uh, 1 and 2. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now the word there given is, he says, in the latter times or in the last days. Now some people think, and that's, that is something that I've heard from the time I was able to understand uh, what was going on, so maybe... 10, 12, 14, whatever, I would hear occasionally people talking about, we're in the last days, and they're correct. If Timothy would be preaching, he was saying, we are in the last days, he was correct. Because it's a period of time from the resurrection or the early church till the time that God comes back again. So sometimes we hear that and we think, we're in the last days. We're thinking that we only got a week left. We don't know when that end is. But what he is telling us, he said, in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to, to seducing spirits. also want to take you to the first example of the human race being deceived, and that's in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And I'm going to read those six verses, and you might think, well, I would never be deceived because I know the truth. 
I've studied the scriptures. I know what the scripture says. And, and I'm going to point out one mistake that Eve did. And it's in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So the mistake here is, it wasn't that Eve did not know the truth. She knew the truth, and she had a conversation with the serpent, which in turn was the devil. She even told the serpent what the truth was. So she knew the truth. She said, um, we may eat of all the fruit of the tr of, that's around us, but, there's one, but God said, there's one tree we may not eat of. She says that neither shall you touch it. We can't eat it. We can't touch it or we'll die. That's what God told me. Now, um, what I would probably say is this. Don't argue with the devil. In verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast. He was cunning. He knows how Satan knows the truth. Satan knew what God said. But he, he, he had a comeback. He says, Well, God said that ye shall eat thereof. But what God is holding back from you is that if you do actually eat that, you will become wise. And so I believe that there was injected into her mind some doubt. Maybe God doesn't know what he's talking about. And it says in verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it looked delicious, it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, that she took of the fruit. I am going to go jump back to 2 Timothy. And in verse 3... This is also a problem, and, and um, I know I left 2 Timothy a little bit to go to Genesis, but there's a, there's a lesson there I believe is for us. And the same problem, if you, are, if you are born into this world, you have the sin nature, these are issues that you will probably face. And in verse 3, he talks about the coming apostasy. In verse 1 he says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Now I'm going to wait until the, I'm going to read through verse 7 yet, but I'm going to just stop there. So Eve, when she looked at that tree, after she had this conversation with Satan, she was like, you know what? That tree does look good. It's pleasant to the eyes. 
It's got to be good for me. Here in 2 Timothy, the warning that Paul says, he said, men shall be lovers of their own selves. And some of the stuff that's listed here, we will never be part of. You might, you might make a commitment in your heart, I will never be a truce breaker. I'm not going to falsely accuse people. But there's a word in there, in verse 4, it says, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. You see, when we say something, a tree that, you know, and if you were in the Garden of Eden, would have you done anything different than Eve? That is the question. You might say, well, I would have never done that. But Eve saw that it was desirable and that it looked pleasant. That is a common problem throughout humans, throughout mankind. Starting in verse 5 again, picking up at verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive, silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust. And then verse 7, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So while 2 Timothy 2.15 says, study to show yourself approved unto God, it's clear that there are people that study and still can't come to the knowledge of the truth. So it's not just studying. So I believe we can inject in 2 Timothy 2 saying that study to show yourself approved unto God, study with the absence of your sin. So in other words, if you're a person that is given into sins, what is studying the word of God going to do for you? And I believe God, or the Bible teaches, that as you come to Christ, you get rid of the old nature. And as you get rid of the old nature and you start studying the word of God, all of a sudden, it's like you, maybe you're watching birds or out hunting and you get this pair of binoculars and you put it up and somebody else uses it to see something that's two feet away from you and you can't see anything. So you have to bring it into focus and then you can see off in the distance. When you study the word of God and your life is full of sin, it's just like putting those binoculars on, you can't see a thing. It's just blurry. There's no understanding. But once you, once you say, you, you can pray to God, there's verses that you say, I don't know what this means. How can, I, how can I understand it? See, God will help you to understand the scriptures. But he wants you to be absent of the things mentioned in 2 Timothy 3, verses 2 through 4, where it talks about disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, because you can study all you want and these things don't make sense to you. So the advice that Paul is giving is be diligent to present yourselves approved to God. Study with the absence of sin in your life. And I will make things clear to you. And in the middle of the verse, he says, a workman who does not need to be ashamed. If you are ridiculed or made fun of, it makes you feel ashamed inside. If you've ever presented truth to people from the scriptures and been made fun of, you don't really want to do it again because that feeling is not good. But yet, I believe the commandment or that, that God is suggesting to share the word of God, to share truth, and that fact should trump that feeling of being ashamed. 
Because I don't like to get ridiculed more than anybody else. But I also believe that God is telling us that we do need to share the word of God with people. So sometimes when you feel the word of, you might share the word of God or tell people things they don't want to hear. Um, in today's Sunday school lesson, we had the account where Herod um, put John the Baptist in prison because he didn't like that John the Baptist told him that his wife was not really his wife. It was his brother Philip's wife, and he shouldn't have taken her. So he's like, you know, I don't like to hear that. I'm going to put you in prison. And later, John the Baptist was beheaded because of an oath he made. Now, John the Baptist could have said, well, to save my life, to avoid ridicule, I'm just not going to tell Herod that he was doing wrong. Anyway, it would have made his life so much easier, wouldn't it? But John the Baptist... I believe was called to tell Herod that. Now I'm not just going to say that you should go out and tell people all their mistakes. It's not necessarily what I'm saying. But when truth needs to be presented, present it regardless of what ridicule you will get. Do the right thing. In 2 Timothy, if we back up to one chapter in, in chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. It says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Now Paul is writing this from his little dungeon. And he says, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but he's given us the spirit of, of power and of love and a sound mind. And I would like to think that Paul spent many days. Why did this person put me in prison? What did I say that got me here? Well, I was sharing the truth, and that trumps being free. I would rather be in prison and speak the truth than not speak the truth and be a free man. So Paul was not ashamed of his testimony. In Romans 1, 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For if we share the gospel of Christ, that's where the power is. It's, that's where God gives us power, is through the gospel of Christ. The last part of this verse he says, rightly dividing the word of truth. And the word of truth is simply the word of God. I believe the reason Paul put that in that verse is because people mishandle the word of God. The thought of um, rightly dividing the word of truth um, a different translation would say rightly handling the word of truth. So when you have the word of God and you share the word of God with people, do not misquote it, do not misuse it to your advantage, but handle it carefully. I brought an example or an object lesson here this morning, and it's a knife. Now, this is not a really dangerous knife. Um, I can hold it around, but I would teach my children how to properly use this knife. Have you ever seen somebody open a package a box like this. Okay, I've told my children already, don't use your knife that way. If you get a, a box in the mail, they're so excited what's in there, they grab a, a, a knife from the drawer and they start opening it up. 
Um, if that thing slips, you're going to have an extra hole that you didn't want. So handle it carefully. Always point away from you. Don't cut with your fingers below it. I and mean, there's all kinds of advice. You might have different advice for that. But handle the word of God like you would a knife very carefully and use it in its proper manner. But the idea of here it says rightly dividing the word of truth or rightly handling the word of truth, giving the idea of a priest in the Old Testament. When he prepared the sacrifices, he had to do it properly. He had to rightly handle the sacrifice. I'm going to take you back to Leviticus chapter 1, verse 4 and 9. Leviticus chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. And if you read through the, the first five books of Moses, there's a lot of, a lot of part of that you might say is just boring reading. I mean, it's just repetitious. It's about all the procedures, why and this and why and that. But here it says, um, this is what the priest had to do. And he says, he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord. And the priest Aaron's son shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood around about the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon it, upon the fire. And the priest, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, in order upon the wood that is on the fire, which is upon the altar. But his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice and an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And that is just a small little segment taken out of a lot of procedures they had to go through. But it shows you there was an order of things. They had to do things a certain way. They had to rightly divide that animal. And it was by, it had meaning to it. So as you take the word of God and you start giving advice to people, how are you going to do it? Are you going to do it according to your own interpretation or are you going to take it for what it means now going back to the first part of the verse is can you properly handle the word of god without studying the word of god i'll let you answer that question give importance to knowledge and we'll go back to first timothy chapter four First Timothy four thirteen through sixteen. Till I come give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt save, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Most of us would not fly an airplane if the people you got to the gate and, and, a, and the person that's there by the gate would say, you know what, our pilots, pilots couldn't make it today, so we're going to ask for volunteers to come fly this plane. Um, I would be looking for the next flight. 
Because if I was asked to fly the plane, for one thing is there's way too many buttons, way too many levers that I don't know what they're for. And if it says to flap up, flap down, I still, I mean, I know that's up and down, but I don't know when to use them. I don't know how much power to give it. I don't know. I mean, it'd be a disaster. I wouldn't do it. How much more would it be is if people come to you and say, hey, I want you to do something in church. Okay, I'll do it. Do you know the word of God? How do you present the gospel to people? That's why you study. If you're asked to fly the plane, you better study beforehand because it will be a disaster. And I believe God is calling us to study the word of God, to rightly divide the word of truth, and don't handle it with a knife and just in any old careless way. Open my box and I stab myself, people get hurt. But think of the word of God as it's God's truth to you. And there are a lot of people today that mishandle the word of God, and we're not going to go into that much or at all. Because I believe it's more important that you concentrate on studying the word of God and, and finding the truth out, what God wants you to hear. And you can hear that from others. But become very familiar with what truth is. I have a quote by Justin Peters, and he does a lot of work in... Um, I should say, figuring out who the false teachers of false churches, false religions are. And this is what he said. If you want to hear from God, read your Bible. If you want to audibly hear from God, read your Bible out loud. The importance of, un and that's end of quote, the importance of understanding the truth and serving God is greater than figuring out who and why people are not serving God. So while it might be important to, to pay attention to who is not serving God correctly and who is and why they're not serving God correctly, I believe it is still more important that we as individuals and as a church understand the truth and find the truth. As a Christian, let me back up. Just going over 2 Timothy 2.15 again. We are to study, we are to be unashamed, and we are to rightly divide the word. As a Christian, your duty is to know God through study. Do not be ashamed, means to proclaim God, and handle the word carefully, which means rightfully, and do it unashamedly. God bless you.